Welcome to our first episode of the Diverse Web3 Builders series. I'm Brian Zwerner, the president of We Studio here in Atlanta, and I am joined today by Keith Wilson of ClearCode Labs. Keith, thank you for being my first guest. Z, thanks, man. I appreciate this, and I appreciate what you're doing, man, for Diverse Builders and Web3. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to highlight what uh, what the great diverse builders that we have come across through We Studio are creating, and uh, we're going to try to tell you how the audience, you, the listener, can help out folks like Keith. So we're going to start, Keith, with your background. Tell me a bit about yourself, where did you come from, how did you get to here? Yeah, man. So I'm uh, originally from Mississippi, uh, born and raised in a very small town in northeast Mississippi uh, called Aberdeen. Uh, population probably less than 4,000, no Walmart, two stoplights, you know, fairly rural place, um, but it was home, right? Um, and so, you know, for me, just be, being able to grow up in Mississippi was a very humbling experience, uh, but it also was a, a very inspirational experience in, in which it allowed me to kind of always want and, and push and drive for more, uh, whether that's more experiences, you know, more opportunities, just more in general. Um, and so that led me to go to college at Ole Miss undergrad, um, go Rebels, howdy toddy. Um, so um, went there four years, uh, got my degree in marketing. Uh, it was a really cool experience. Uh, was involved in quite a few things on campus, band, student government, all kinds of other things. So I was, you know, a band nerd uh, back in the day, but I own it. What instrument? Uh, I played a, a trumpet and I played French horn and I played mellophone. So, all right. Uh, I was a, yeah, I was a brass guy. Uh, but I own it. Hey, it helped pay for college, so I'll, I'll take it. Um, and so from there, um, I knew that I needed to get kind of more education because I was majoring in marketing. Um, I knew that a bachelor's degree in marketing at that time wouldn't really help me get the job that I wanted or those opportunities that I wanted. Um, so I uh, enrolled in graduate school. Um, and that's when I moved out to Atlanta to attend Clark Atlanta University. Uh, uh, stored HBCU, uh, one of the biggest providers of black MBAs ever, <laughs> right? Um, you know, any school. And so for me, that just, you know, really set my path to where I am now, uh, being able to go to a school with that much history, that much legacy. Um, it was a bit of a culture shock. Um, but for me, I made so many lifelong friends um, and had so many opportunities that came to me just because I went to Clark Atlanta. Um, and that was my first time moving to Atlanta, first time living or being in Atlanta in general. So uh, a country boy from Mississippi taking, you know, his last few dollars, right? Moving out to Atlanta with these big hopes and dreams. It's kind of this perfect script for a TV show, right? Um, but it worked out. It worked out well. Um, you know, while there, I had an opportunity to study abroad um, in China. Um, so I was there for, gosh, weeks um, studying international business and international marketing at the University of International Business Economics in Beijing. Uh, and we also took some time and, and studied in Shanghai as well. Uh, amazing experience. So that was my first time ever outside of the country. Um, so it was really cool experience. Um, and then, you know, from there on, I was able to also um, uh, attain an internship at Ford Motor Company, uh, which is kind of where my career essentially started. Um, so that was a great opportunity uh, for me to get that internship. Uh, and it wouldn't have happened if I didn't go to Clark Atlanta, if I didn't really tap into the network that they had. Um, and they provided those opportunities, you know, for me and, and some of my classmates. And so um, that kind of set me on the path that I was on um, and going to school there and getting my internship at Ford, which led to a full time job uh, offer at Ford Motor Company, you know, a stored automotive you know, company. And so um, the rest is to be written um, as we speak. I've been working in the auto industry ever since. 
Excellent, excellent. And were you doing that for Ford here in Atlanta or elsewhere? So I started with Ford uh, in one of the regional offices uh, out of Memphis, Tennessee. So this was a really, really cool uh, opportunity because it was still close to home. Um, and then also I was calling on dealerships, about 15 to 20 dealerships in, you know, about a four state area. So roughly Arkansas, Tennessee, um, Louisiana, and Mississippi, calling on dealerships all across those states. And the coolest part about it is that my first territory that I had to manage a dealership was actually my home territory. And so like that North Mississippi area, South Tennessee area. Um, and so I was able to actually go and work with dealers, you know, 20, 30 minutes from my hometown. I mean, I grew up seeing all these guys' commercials, um, never met these guys or, or anything. And so it was a really cool opportunity to make, you know, to not only learn the business at the ground level, uh, but also make some very cool um, friendships and relationships that I still leverage have been very, very, very successful. Um, and, you know, they know exactly what they're doing. And so I call on them just for any kind of advice. And um, I still stop by their dealerships to this day just to visit and drive some new cars when I get a chance. Very fun. The uh, And you spend some time at some other car brands other than Ford, correct? Correct, correct. So, yeah, through my time at Ford, I got switched over to the Lincoln side. I um, was working on that business, helping to develop new products on the Lincoln brand. So thinking about, you know, five to 10 years out, like what would the new Lincoln cars or sedan portfolio strategy be? And so I was essentially over that portfolio strategy. Um, and even while I was at Ford, I had a really cool opportunity um, after I moved to Michigan, to Detroit, uh, to lead their uh, expedition brand. Um, this was a billion dollar brand, um, and I grew top line revenue within a year to one and a half billion. Um, it was a very, very small budget, mind you. Um, and so with very, very little, I was able to do a lot and improve a lot of the major metrics. Um, and the really cool thing about working in the Lincoln side was that it was kind of a total um, opposite, in a sense, from the Ford business and how they operated. It was more of a luxury line, um, but also they were trying to um, go into new markets such as China. And so I had the really cool opportunity of actually, you know, going and living in China for about six months and working over there um, and leading some new product strategies, uh, which is a super cool you know, opportunity um, as well. And so just really seeing the differentiation between, um, you know, the, the Chinese um, automotive customer and the American automotive customer. What were some of the things that they had in common in regards to vehicles or features of vehicles or the definitions of vehicles? Uh, what were some of the differences um, that they had and kind of what they wanted out of the vehicle? And what were those trade-offs um, that we would have to make? And it was on, upon me to figure out what those trade-offs would be and build a business case around those and build a profitable vehicle for the next five to 10 years to come. Um, and so that was just a super cool experience being able to go back now to China um, as a professional, as opposed to going to China initially as a broke college student. Um, totally different experience, <laughs> you know, uh, but it was one that I will always remember uh, and always value uh, when I kind of think about it. And then from there on, um, yeah, I worked at a couple of other auto companies. So I worked at um, PSA Group uh, before the merger. Uh, so on the Peugeot brand, uh, it's a French automotive company uh, for, uh, for those that don't know about it. Uh, so it was really cool working on Peugeot um, and then Stellantis when they had the merger. Uh, most recently, Rivian uh, was working with them and doing some pretty cool with them things with them on the energy and charging side. And most recently, I just took a role of Mercedes-Benz, um, so leading a lot of their program strategy and EV charging nationwide. So I've seen quite a few, you know, areas and, and, and I've seen the industry from a very wide panoramic kind of view. Um, so that's, you know, one of the things I really, really, really value about my experience is just being able to see different levels of the automotive industry. 
All right. Well, I know we're going to come back to your automotive experience and how it shaped what you're building at Clearcoat Labs, but I want to take a quick stop in that journey and talk a little bit about, you know, kind of uh, the hard work that it takes to be an entrepreneur. You know, I have this belief that you got to be ready for the battle. It is a long experience being a founder. There's lots of ups and downs. There's going to be lots of challenges. You need to be dedicated to the mission. You need to be there for the long haul. And and I always like to find something that founders have in their past that they can draw on. Uh, experience in your life, Keith, that you could share with the audience where you had to commit yourself to a long journey like this, where you had to improve, where you had to find coaches, where you had to find people to help you, where you had to form partnerships or teamwork. Um, what's something like that in your life that's prepared you for being an entrepreneur? Um, I, I think for me, it, it goes back to, you know, kind of when I was young and, and first started like in the arts. Um, I've been painting and drawing guys for years off and on. And, you know, just the things required to be, you know, successful in a sense and in, in that respect, you know, requires a lot of patience. It requires a lot of creativity. It requires kind of making a, a way out of no way, uh, kind of turning a blank canvas into a beautiful portrait. Right. And it's really your creativity and, and your gumption and, and and your drive that that turns that blank canvas into something great that people would want to be a part of or that people would want to obtain or pay for. And so, you know, those are kind of the things that I really was able to draw upon in regards to becoming an entrepreneur and just asking myself, you know, do I have what it takes right to to do this? Um, have I seen anything in my life before that allowed me to experience what it would take to do this. And, and I draw upon a lot of those skills that it takes to be an artist. Um, you know, there are plenty of times that, you know, I was painting something and it didn't go right. Right. Uh, but I had to figure out how to turn these accidents into uh, astonishments, right. In a sense. Um, and essentially leverage my creativity and, you know, know that, you know, what I'm doing, like they say, beauty is in, in the eye of the beholder. And as an artist, you're always going to be critical of yourself, uh, but also as an entrepreneur, you're always going to be critical of yourself, thinking, hey, could I have done this better? Should I have pitched this way as opposed to that way? Should I have made that comment to that investor as opposed to that comment? Should I have highlighted this metric versus that metric? Um, you're doing all of those things as an artist, too. When you're looking back at a painting that you completed, like, uh, you know, the, the, the head doesn't look right, the eyes are a little too big, or the grass isn't as green, the sun doesn't look like a sun, it looks like a crazy yellow cloud, you know? So, I mean, it's just a lot of critiquing that you have to do uh, as an artist that I've seen really flows well into the entrepreneurial space. And it's really helped me out um, uh, very well so far. Love that, that's fantastic. The, uh, I'm sure as well, uh, showing your art and getting feedback from people probably feels a lot like uh, pitching the, to investors these days for you. Absolutely. Um, you, you, you learn how to take feedback um, very easily um, and you learn very quickly that, you know, it's never personal. It's always, you know, for the most part, you know, trying to be helpful, trying to give you their purview, their thoughts, uh, their opinions, you know, as an entrepreneur. Uh, and I learned very, very early just from my art teacher, you know, that, you know, you got to take criticism, right? You, you got to be able to take it if you're going to become a better artist or if you're going to become a better business person or a better entrepreneur. You got to learn how to take criticism, but you also have to learn how to take it with a filter um, and take in the parts that would really help, right? And not just take on every single piece of it um, that may or may not apply to what you're doing. And so I've learned how to be um, take selective criticism, 
right? So kind of applying the filter to the credit through the lens of criticism that I get and really listen for the good parts, the helpful parts, uh, the parts that really speak to um, areas that I need to improve in or things that I can do better um, as an entrepreneur or um, just as a person. Right. Um, and so I've always kind of used that type of mindset um, in getting criticism. And, yeah, it's been one of the things that even in early age as an artist, I've, I've been able to really, really leverage um, early on in my entrepreneurial career. Love that. Wow. It definitely prepares you for what uh, for some of the challenges you're going to be seeing as a founder. Now, you know, with this diverse Web3 builder series, we are talking to people who are building in Web3, you know, cryptos and tokens and NFTs and DAOs and all of these things that, you know, I think generally the people that have stuck around uh, through this most recent crypto sell off in winter or like yourself are, are serious about it. Um, we think, you know, to, to be successful as a founder in these areas and to work with us at We Studios, we're looking for for crypto natives and not crypto tourists. Tell us a little bit about your exposure to Web3. What got you interested? What was your moment where you said, oh, there's something real here and something I can build on? You know, what 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 kind of drove that for you? Yeah, I think for me, my introduction to crypto was, of course, kind of the, the Bitcoin rush, right? You know, years back. Um, that was really my introduction to this whole idea of digital currency or even kind of zooming out beyond that digital assets. I never thought it would get to the point to where we are today, where we're actually talking about the more asset piece as opposed to the coin piece or currency piece. But uh, <clears throat> for me, that was really kind of where it started. Um, and from there, I just wanted to try to dig in more to see what is this? What is this about? What could it be? Because, you know, just from my, my history, as far as from my um, uh, professional experience side, I've always had to train myself to think further, right? Not necessarily think or live in the current, but always think about future products, future applications, just future usage and use cases. That's just kind of how I was trained in automotive. And so my mind just immediately started going that route where, okay, if we're talking digital currency, we also got to be talking other digital things out there as well, right? I mean, it, it, it won't stop at money. It has to stop at or go to other areas of society. And I'm just kind of curious what those areas of society maybe are looking to be, or are there things that I can create to help kind of define, in a sense, what this future could be when we're talking about digital assets in general. Um, and so for me, that's really, really kind of started. Um, and then, of course, NFTs picked up. And then that's kind of where you started to see more and more use cases and application around community, artwork, things of that nature. <clears throat> but still, at that point in time, I was still thinking, you know, three, four, five steps ahead. You know, OK, we talked currency. We're thinking artwork. Um, yeah, I'm an artist. I could kind of dive into that space. But now nah, I'm thinking there has to be something even bigger down the road when we're talking digital assets. And that's where I started really diving more and more and more. And, you know, even with this, you know, kind of, you know, bear market that we've had and you've seen it yourself, that now you're starting to see way more projects come out of the space that are really applying really cool use cases, really cool utility um, and really helping to, um, in a sense, create new asset classes or create new categories in general. And that's kind of where my head's always been, kind of given my professor experience around the idea of creating new categories. Um, and that's, you know, kind of what gotten us to, to where we are. And that's really driven my interest, this idea of creating new assets, new categories, uh, but also the idea of ownership of the data that you have, the data that you create, and the data we think that we're creating, that we're creating even now as we speak. 
what's a project or product that you've seen or used or been a part of so far within the Web3 space that, that you think is doing some fun things that you're trying to learn from? So, you know, I, I just got back from East Denver. You can probably see from my shirt. Uh, so it was a super cool experience. I got to see so many uh, like really, really cool projects from gaming to DeFi. I mean, you name it, I've been able to see it. Um, one of the cool projects that I've heard about, or I've had the chance to talk to one of the founders, um, is this new chain called Prasaga that they're working on. Um, we had a really cool chat in regards to how they're trying to essentially redefine supply chains and put them on chain. Um, and that goes from any kind of major industry, but specifically we were speaking about automotive industry in regards to how you can even go back to the individual parts of the vehicles, put all of those on chain and essentially help these auto companies really, you know, do some really cool things. And so that was, you know, for me, kind of in my, given my background was a really cool project um, that I never heard anything about, never really heard in any other, you know, any other body, you know, person kind of doing anything in a similar space. Um, because when you think about a lot of projects going on, they're typically DeFi projects or kind of NFT, you know, PFP projects or wallet, you know, projects, you know, things of that nature. Um, but to hear something as niche as this and what it can do in the supply chain space um, seemed really, really cool and really, really interesting. So it's one that I'm definitely watching for. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I have this firm belief that we're moving past the financialization stage, the gambling and, uh, you know, uh, and and speculating stage of Web3 and moving into much more interesting use cases now. Let's slip over. You alluded a little bit to what ClearCoat Labs does. Tell us a little bit more about what you're working on. Yeah, so ClearCoat Labs, a startup um, that, you know, um, founder and CEO of, uh, we're essentially building out the infrastructure that would allow automotive brands to deploy digital twins of their products in multiple digital platforms. Um, you know, when we think about the digitization of industries, we're seeing it now where every industry is becoming more and more digital, um, even the automotive industry, um, a, a storied, old, traditional industry with very old and mechanical products becoming significantly more digital. Um, just to kind of give an example, when you think about a gas vehicle, it takes roughly about one to two million lines of coal to, to produce a gas vehicle. Has about one to two million lines of coal in it. An electric vehicle has about four and a half to five million lines of coal in it, right? So that, in a sense, is showing that as we're shifting from these gas vehicles to these electric vehicles, we're essentially shifting from physical products to digital products. And for me, it's like I said, thinking, you know, 10 steps ahead, I'm thinking, hey, if we're talking digital products, why is there not a digital asset tied to these products that are becoming more digital? Uh, that could essentially be a replica of the physical asset um, that would give owners of that asset usage in kind of the digital space or the digital world. Um, they could also act as kind of a token of authenticity for that physical product. Um, that can also essentially represent ownership of that physical product. Um, that could also allow for fractional ownership usage for fractional ownership models of that physical product. Um, and, and so just looking at kind of the digitization, like I said, of all these other industries, whether it's real estate, fashion, shoes, you name it, all of these other major industries are putting out digital products. So we would be crazy to think that one of the biggest, oldest, most profitable 
most storied industries ever in the world would not adopt digital technology and digital twins. And so what we're doing is we're getting ahead of the curve because that's what I've been trained to do, create new categories. And we're essentially, we built out this product called Helix, uh, which essentially is an NFT platform uh, that allows customers to create digital replicas of their physical vehicles. And so for us, that's where it starts, uh, the digital product um, and the digital asset. And essentially we deliver a Tesla-like experience in creating your digital vehicle. We want to make it as simple as possible. It, it's probably more of a Web 2 experience, but it, it outputs a Web 3 product. And that's the way we want it to be because we know and we feel um, in, our, in our heart of hearts that the automotive industry could be a huge driver of mass adoption in the Web 3, if done right. And, you know, I think a lot of people who haven't worked in the auto industry like you see it as a, an old man industry, a little bit slow moving, bureaucratic. What What's the reaction been with the car companies that you've reached out to with this? Yeah, so we've talked to multiple automotive companies um, and they are all looking into this space seriously. Um, and they have every intention of diving into this space. So, you know, that's the why now, right? Whenever I'm being asked why now, right? They made their intent known. And they made it known even further through the fact that multiple automotive companies over the past four to six months have filed trademarks to essentially deploy their products as NFTs. So it's going to happen, <laughs> right? And when it happens, it's going to almost be too late. And so the, the conversations that we've had um, with automotive companies have went really, really well. Um, they really like the use cases that we put forward in regards to um, ownership of the vehicle or the life cycle of the vehicle, being able to store that ownership data on that asset. Um, being able to essentially store maintenance and service records of that vehicle on that asset over the life of the asset, um, being able to essentially track vehicle bills that are actually selling and leveraging that to essentially cut down on procurement costs of parts that don't sell, of features that don't sell, to essentially increase the throughput of vehicles that actually do sell, that'll help them cut costs. And so they love the fact that you know we've identified these use cases uh, and we can essentially digitize these assets but also giving people a way to improve loyalty um, to those companies by essentially leveraging them to be used in a game, right? Um, I mean, that's something that we're actually looking at for these assets to be used at, say, in the Grand Theft Auto or in a Rocket League or a Fortnite type of environment or a sandbox type of environment. So just being able to have so much interoperability and usage um, out of these 3D assets um, is something that they really, really uh, like the idea, um, like the idea of. Fantastic. And what's been uh, your, you know, kind of biggest accomplishment, the thing you're most proud of since you launched this business? What what's a big win you've had so far? Um, I think for me, a big win um, that I have had was um, being able to be on the startup showdown um, uh, pitch competition here in Atlanta. Um, at that point, you know, the company was a little different in regards to how it was structured and framed and kind of how we were pitching. But it was just an idea. Right. Um, we, we were nowhere where we are right now with an actual product that we can show people, it was an idea. And we, you know, beat out a lot of really good companies and got a chance to pitch on the big stage um, um, here in Atlanta. And so that was a really good opportunity to kind of give some exposure um, and really introduce this idea of digital twins or digital assets um, as, it's, as a, you know, justifiable use case um, with traditional businesses. And so for me, that was a, that was a, a huge win. Um, it really gave me kind of the confidence and the justification that you know we were going in the right direction. You know, we would have to iterate along the lines, but we were it, we had something that we were that we were building upon. Well, it was a big win for you and I because that's how we met. I saw you pitch there, and we met shortly after in the uh, 
after party from that, I believe. And uh, that was how I first got exposed to you and uh, to what you were building. So I'm thankful to the folks at Panoramic Ventures for putting that one on and getting you on the big stage. So, you know, a big part of what we're about at We Studio is helping diverse builders build. We'll, uh, you know, we'll be launching our uh our um, venture studio program here in the spring but in the interim you know we want to let viewers listeners people who are hearing about your story here who are excited about you and what you're building we want to let them know how they can help what can someone who's listening today watching today reading about you today how can they help you with your mission at clearco what are you looking for yeah absolutely um so definitely appreciate it um they can help in a couple of different ways uh we just kicked off our pre-seed funding round um so we're looking to raise 1.5 million um, pre-seed funding um, to essentially help build out more of those use cases that automotive companies are talking to us about. Um, and so, you know, any connection to VCs in the space of mobility, VCs in the space of Web3 or digital twins um, or automotive, um, uh, we certainly would love any connections to anybody in that audience. Um, you know, also, you know, we love connections to, you know, anybody with partnerships uh, or that have connections at automotive companies. Uh, we've talked to quite a few, um, but we still are looking to talk to, e talk to even more. And it goes even beyond automotive companies to any kind of motorized asset, right? So boating companies, motorcycle companies, um, you name it, uh, golf cart companies, right? You name it, you know, we can essentially create digital twins to represent the physical assets um, that they have. So any ties to any of those companies or any of those industries would certainly be appreciated. And I'll say lastly, you know, follow us. Uh, on Twitter. Uh, we have our very own NFT drop that we're looking to do of our own proprietary digital vehicles uh, that we're also going to gamify um, to kind of help show what we're doing and what we're building. So please follow us on Twitter. Um, that's um, at Helix underscore auto um, at Helix, H-E-L-I-X underscore auto, A-U-T-O. Um, and yeah, I think between those three things, uh, we would certainly appreciate any and all help uh, from the community out there. Excellent. And we'll put the uh, links to everything in the show notes underneath in the description. Find that down there. Follow Keith on uh, on socials. Connect with him on LinkedIn if you want to get in touch about investing or helping to introduce him in the automotive or other mechanized vehicle space. He is ready and open for business. Keith, anything we uh, didn't cover you want to make sure the audience knows? Um, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing um, at We Studio. Um, and so, you know, really kudos to you, Z. I mean, you didn't have to do this, brother, but you are. And so many blessings to you for doing this, um, shining this light um, and providing these opportunities. I mean, you and I have talked about this quite a few times in regards to how, you know, there's so much talent out here in the minority space, specifically in Web3, that's not getting funded that's getting passed over uh, and you guys, you're doing something about it. And so kudos to you and kudos to the team for, you know, not just, you know, preaching about it, but being about it. And, and that's what matters. And that's, I think, what's going to make the difference in the future for other founders like myself and Web3. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you uh, coming on first, being our first guest in this diverse Web3 Builders series. We'll have a lot more great founders that we'll be telling you about. So make sure you follow us, uh, subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. There'll be plenty more amazing builders building in this space that we can bring you here in the diverse Web3 Builders series. Thank you very much, Keith. And that's it for this episode. Thanks, Z.